0: Murdoch, if you live or your family has lived in South Carolina for more than a decade, you recognize that name. The Murdoch name is closely connected to law in the 14th Judicial Circuit, or as a lot of people know it as Colleton County. But on Monday, January 23rd, the Murdoch name and the family's legacy will be on trial. The murder trial for now disbarred South Carolina attorney Alec Murdoch begins in Walterboro, South Carolina this week. Alec Murdoch is accused of the shooting deaths of his wife Margaret and their youngest son Paul. Maggie and Paul Murdoch were found shot to death near the family's dog kennels on their property in Colleton County. Alec Murdoch told police he discovered the bodies at Moselle June 7th of 2021. Then months later, Alec Murdoch was hospitalized after an alleged botched suicide attempt. The investigation of the murders and Alec's actions led to the discovery of crimes such as fraud and financial crimes and the mysterious deaths including a housekeeper and two people associated with the Murdoch family. There is a lot this trial will uncover, so let's talk about it. Our guest is my colleague at WCBD-TV, Riley Benson. Riley, thank you for speaking with me. Carolyn, thank you for having me. For more than a year, you have followed the crimes and consequences that have happened surrounding the Murdoch family and Colleton County. First of all, tell for those who may not be associated with Alec Murdoch or know the name well, who is Alec Murdoch, this former lawyer who's now on trial for killing his wife and son?
1: Dating back several generations, nearly a hundred years, the Murdoch family served as the solicitor um, in this area, serving you know Collinston, Hampton, Beaufort, Jasper, uh, these counties in the Low Country. Alec Murdoch being the uh, the newest generation of the Murdoch family, uh, a esteemed lawyer by all accounts. You know, prior to these investigations, someone who was seen as a maybe a larger-than-life figure in, in in the area, Colleton, Hampton, uh, Alec Murnock at the time had been working for his family's longstanding law firm, then known as uh, PMPED, now the Parker Law Group, as one of the partners of that law firm, you know, winning major settlements uh, over a period of years. Alec attended um, USC, uh, South Carolina Law School, uh, graduated there as many of his family members, his father, his grandfather, great-grandfather had done so. Uh, Alec had been serving as an attorney, representing a number of clients, particularly in uh, car accident cases back in the 90s, early 2000s, where these tires would explode on particularly Ford uh, SUVs. He would win big settlements against these companies for for his clients, and by a lot of accounts, was a trusted person. On the other side, was this family was seen as, um, as maybe scary or, or very, um, you know, very threatening as they've been a part of law for so long, mm-hmm. kind of really ruling this area. You know, a lot of people either really liked the Murdochs or some people were even afraid of them to some extent.
0: So some people intimidated by that family's legacy.
1: That's absolutely what we've heard. You know, speaking with people in the aftermath of the murders of his wife and the youngest son and some of these uncoverings of these financial crimes, obviously still alleged financial crimes at this point, but um, that's really been the consensus is some people knew them well, they were friends with them, others were intimidated by what the Murdoch name stands for in that area.
0: Riley, why does the prosecution say Alec Murdoch murdered his wife and son?
1: The big picture here is in 2019, Alec Murdoch's son, Paul, uh, was driving a boat in the wee hours of the morning in February, uh, crashes it while allegedly being heavily intoxicated, uh, throws several passengers from the boat, one of them being Mallory Beach, who at the time, uh, 19-year-old girl, they don't find her body for a week. This really sets off um, maybe the beginning of the end or the beginning of a downfall for the Murdoch family. Um, Mallory Beach's family who hires Mark Tinsley, um, an Allendale attorney, to recover some damages from the Murdochs. And so over the next couple of years, 19 to early uh, 2020 and 2021, Mark Tinsley is trying to get in touch with uh, the financials of the Murdochs and Alec Murdoch. And at this point, you know, unknowingly, Alec Murdoch had been involved in, in misappropriating millions of dollars. And, and so, you know, eventually, Murdoch's attorneys, Dick Harpootley and Jim Griffin, tell Tinsley that, you know, there's no money to be paid to Mallory Beach's family. And so, you know, this is kind of percolating and bubbling in the early part of, of 2021, months before Paul and Maggie had been murdered. And at that time, PMPED Murdoch's Law Firm had come to him, the CFO, Jeannie Seckinger, which we learned about in the Russell Lafitte trial, asking where missing money had gone. So, you know, he's being confronted about missing attorney's fees that he'd won in some cases and particularly on the day of the murders. Uh, June 7th, 2021, second jury came back to Murdoch's office asking for this $792,000 check that he had won with Chris Wilson, who was his college roommate, another attorney in the area. That money had never showed up to PMPED, but a bill did for Murdoch's services or for their services. So um, they're questioning where this money's at. At the same time Alec gets a phone call, his father had gotten a terminal diagnosis, was, you know, not doing well. Long story short, state prosecutors say that Alec allegedly committed these crimes murdering his wife and youngest son to delay the uncovering of a longstanding 15-year period of financial crimes that Alec allegedly you know, is accused of stealing almost $10 million over 15 years. And um, essentially, because of the boat crash, they say the writing was really on the wall, that his financials were going to be exposed, These crimes were going to be exposed, and so they say he kills his wife and son to you know, get sympathy to buy him time to figure out how he can cover up these financial crimes uh, and kind of to, you know, draw the attention away from that.
0: The the murders happened June 7th, 2021. You say that right. this was actually on the day that pretty much all heck broke loose with the right. secondary information.
1: Yeah, all heck did break loose, Carolyn, for <laughs> sure. In the Russell Lafitte trial uh, last year Uh, These details kind of started emerging that PMPED, as early as March, had been questioning where this money was. And, you know, they eventually came back in on June 7th. Alec was in his office supposedly working on uh, the boat case, which was getting ready to go to. uh, There was a hearing three days after on June 10th. They were scheduled to be in court for the boat case. Alec is working on that when Jeannie Seconder comes in. Um, and his questioning him again about this money. It was a short conversation by all accounts, as again, his father, he received a phone call about his father's health failing, but was confronted nonetheless about this missing money that the law firm was starting to worry that he was um, hiding because he had supposedly told partners at the law firm that he wanted to structure his income to hide it, where you know it couldn't be discovered in the boat case. So, Uh, That was another reason the law firm had become worried and supposedly didn't want to be a part of uh, Alec trying to hide his income. So the Beach family would be uh, unable to recover it. But nonetheless, he was confronted on the day of these murders of his wife and son that would happen hours later that night at their family property.
0: What is Alec Murdoch's defense?
1: So from the time of the murders, June 7th, um, and it's in several reports now presented by state prosecutors alec within 30 seconds of law enforcement arriving at their property in colleton county immediately says the the, the murders um were carried out by people in response or in um i guess response to the boat crash the killing of their death in mallory beach um you know he says that he wasn't at home at the time of the murders he was off visiting his mother um, who also was in poor health at this point. Um, he was with her and the nurse who was with her. And so to kind of give a lay of the land, uh, Moselle is in Colleton County on the line with Hampton County. Uh, his mom and his parents' house is in Hampton itself. So about a 20-minute drive away, Alex says that he had left the house after having dinner with Maggie and Paul that night, um, notified them that he was leaving to go to his parents' house. Maggie and Paul are at the house um, out by these dog kennels. Alex says that he spends about an hour um, at his mom's all together with driving, was there and came back. Comes back just around 10 o'clock, maybe just before. Um, says he went to the house and Maggie and Paul were not there to be found. And then drives down to the dog kennels, which is you know about a half a mile away. It's a, it's a very expansive property. It's about 1,700 acres. Um so he drives down to the dog kennels where he says he discovers the bodies of Maggie and Paul. Um, you know, a couple feet away from each other. Paul at this point was half in and half out of a storage closet in the dog kennels. Maggie was laying nearby. Um, calls nine one one, I think it's ten oh seven PM that night and says, you know, he wasn't home at the time of the murders, he wasn't there and you know, has admitted to some of these financial crimes but would have never killed his wife and son, had no reason to do so. Um, you know, we've heard through statements in, in conversation by Jim Griffin and Dick Harputian that this was a loving family, um, that there, there was, you know, no reason that he would ever want to kill his wife and son. Um, and, you know, Carolyn, it's important for context to say that also at this time that Maggie had not been living Moselle with Alec that Maggie was living at the family's beach house on Edisto, you know, which is about an hour away from Moselle. So just for context purposes, um, you know, Maggie had came to the house that night. Alex supposedly had asked her to come there. Um, And Paul had came too from, he was supposedly had been at um, Alex's brother's house, John Marvin, had had dinner with them earlier and then came to Moselle.
0: Was the couple separated? You said that they were living apart. Was this just that she was not at the property Um, for a couple of days or was this for a prolonged period of time
1: you know there's been rumblings of of their status their marital status you know I I don't know I don't feel comfortable saying one way or the other but as far as you know there's been talk that she had sought maybe getting a divorce but there's also um, the defense is you know strongly pushed back against that so as far as the marital status I'm not sure but what we have you know come to believe is that Maggie had been living at the beach house for at least a couple of months at that point.
0: And Riley, is it my understanding that Maggie and Paul were both asked to come to the Moselle property by Alec? Is that correct?
1: That is the understanding is that is yes, that Alec had texted Maggie and asked Maggie and had asked Paul to come to the house that night. Um, Maggie, for the purpose of seeing Randolph, Alec's father, who um, at that point again had been uh, failing health-wise, uh, would die three days later, June 10th, and Paul to come to the house and to check on these dogs So belonged to friends that were there at the kennels.
0: The couple actually also have another son.
1: Buster, who at the time was not home the night of the murders. Um, He had been off in Rock Hill. Buster had been working for Wild Wing Cafe's headquarters, which is up in Charlotte. Um, So Buster had not been home at the time of the murders.
0: Rodney, let's talk about the attorneys in the courtroom who um, will be certainly watch very closely throughout the proceedings over the next few weeks, possibly as long as a month. Uh, Leading the prosecution team is Creighton Waters. Waters is the grand jury chief prosecutor for South Carolina. What can you tell us about him?
1: Creighton Waters is a respected um, prosecutor in the state of South Carolina, but media outlets, different people who have followed this case, have pointed out, you know, their prosecutors are basically career prosecutors. They really haven't been criminal defense attorneys. They haven't worked on the other side. And, and, you know, the attorney general's office, as far as uh, Creighton Waters, there's not a lot of experience when it comes to uh, murder cases and especially high profile murder cases like this one. Um, But nonetheless, you know, Creighton Waters and his team, you know, they've kind of worked step-in-step with the proceedings in this. And, you know, one thing that you can say about Creighton Waters, and and even Dick Carpoolian and Jim Griffin have both credited him for being, you know, a very stand-up prosecutor, a very trustworthy person is Creighton. And the state has hold held most of the details in this case very close to their chest you know they're protecting their theories they're protecting the evidence they're protecting and and you know doing best not to turn this into a media trial versus wanting to do every play out this all out in the courtroom when we get there you know hopefully this week maybe next but by all accounts you know creighton has been very strong in the courtroom he's been very uh you know, very organized. He seems to, you know, hold his own. And, and I think he's, you know, he seems to get a lot of praise on the state's behalf, you know, in, in this process and, and, you know, looking to prosecute Alec Murdoch and these, these two murders.
0: This state is not seeking the death penalty. Was that surprising?
1: Yes and no. From speaking with Charlie Kahn and the former attorney general in South Carolina and other attorneys, you know, if you're going to seek the death penalty, you have to have a very strong case. You have to have A lot of uh, evidence you have to have, uh, you know, maybe a witness or different things. And I think we're going to get there, Carolyn. But, you know, the one thing with this case is this is really a circumstantial case. Um, There's, by all accounts, no witness that the state plans to bring. They're working on this blood spatter, which, again, I think we're going to talk about. There's some, some issues there, really. So... To the point of them not having a strong enough case, I think this is the safest bet for the state. I think that there's also some concern about the death penalty where it stands in South Carolina at this point.
0: The defense team, Riley, includes some names that are easily recognizable for South Carolinians, Dick Harputlian and Jim Griffin. What can you tell me about them and their reputation?
1: Hearing people like Eric Bland, who's an attorney in the state and in Um, Jill McCullough, who's a well-respected attorney in his own right. You know, Dick Harpootlian is someone who's described as a vicious attorney in the courtroom. And and Jim Griffin, you know, has also got a strong background, both being former prosecutors. They've worked as criminal defense attorneys. Um, You know, Dick Harpootlian has been involved in a number of death penalty cases on both sides. I think he's got experience with, I think, 12 to 15 death penalty cases and over 100 murder cases. So... You know, Dick Harpootlian is somebody who is well-seasoned. Um, he's one of the top attorneys that you can get, criminal defense attorneys you can you know, find in South Carolina. Um, he's been very aggressive in his motions and, and his statements and his stance on where this case has st- stood and, you know, um, how it's progressed. Obviously, they filed for a speedy trial. They're They're really trying to take it to the state and catch them off guard. But a lot of respect, I think statewide for um, state Senator Dick Harputoley and, and Jim Griffin who have you know have worked a long time in the state and have have really handled some high profile cases both as prosecutors and as criminal defense attorneys so you know I think there's a lot of experience on our side.
0: Both sides very experienced, but one side certainly having more experience in this area uh, with yeah. criminal defense. Um, the judge for the trial, Riley is Judge Clifton Newman. Um, He has a lot of work to do, in fact, issuing some rulings before the trial even begins. What can you tell us about him and what he will possibly rule on some of those key issues before the trial begins?
1: You know, before we get into that, I I just want to say I think Judge Clifton Newman deserves a lot of credit. He's been super um, accommodating and friendly for media, um, you know, like ourselves, making sure that this case isn't hidden it's all out there in the public that being said you know judge newman has a number of pretrial motions that are going to have to be taken up before we can even get into the nitty-gritty of this trial um, we're looking at one involving blood spatter where the state had a um, independent expert test testing sure sure that alec had been wearing the night of the murders when he discovers these bodies um, in that process it was destroyed to the point where the defense can't test it so you know, there's some conversation about whether that should be thrown out, and I think we'll get to that. But uh, he's got a rule on his blood spatter. He's got a rule on whether or not these financial crimes have any part of the motive um, to the murders and whether that should be brought into a court. You know, if that is, we're looking at more than a million documents related to financial crimes that will be part of the murder case if he decides to rule on that way. Um, you know, those are big things that are going to have a big impact on, on how this case plays out in trial. Uh, it can really shift You know, it can strengthen the case for the state. It could cause some weaknesses or holes for the state, and vice versa on the other side. So, you know, Judge Newman has been very professional. He um, is—he's by all regards, by all accounts, a no-nonsense judge. Um, I can tell you that he will plan to start court at about nine a.m. each day and and plans to run until about five. Now, you know, that could go shorter or longer depending on whether or not they get into a groove and, and we can get some things done. But um you know judge newman has been um a no-nonsense judge he's you know ruled in both sides both favor of both the state and the defense on a number of motions we've heard and seen over the previous months but there's about four or five motions that he's going to have to take up either before or after jury selection which will start this week um and until those are done we can't even start to get into the trial but you know i anticipate judge newman to be on top of it he's you know he's been a very you know stand-up judge to, in my opinion you know being in the courtroom with him a number of times now and like i said he really does deserve credit for trying to make sure this case is in the public eye as much as possible
0: and riley very sadly on a very personal note for judge newman um his son um passed away over the last few weeks and so he's yeah. had to also deal with that
1: obviously your, your thoughts and condolences to judge newman his son was was very young when he passed away but um you know there's been some rumblings in on social media and, and facebook and different things about you know oh, will this play some sort of impact in this case and, and the personnel you know the personal aspect for the judge and you know i, I don't think so i don't think that's something that the judge would bring in but, you know, obviously understandably he's dealing with some personal things in, in the passing of his son preparing for you know for one of the biggest cases at least you know at this point in south carolina
0: Riley, you talked about one of the many issues that will come before Judge Newman in the uh, certainly in the very near future. And one of those issues is blood spatter. You talked about that already. Can you describe what's happening with the issue with blood spatter on Alec Murdoch's T-shirt, whether it existed or did not exist and to what extent?
1: This shirt that he had been wearing that night it's, it was a white t-shirt um, and essentially they hired david bevel who uh, is a former law enforcement officer out of i believe oklahoma to do an independent test on this shirt and his first test came back with no blood spatter nothing on this shirt nothing that was traceable at some point the state had asked him to test this shirt again and so by you know going off of the filings by the defense the state um, escorted this shirt out to uh, Mr. Bevel out at his home where he um, used photos, photographs, and kind of blew them up and photoshopped different areas of the shirt where he um, then kind of looked at the colors and, and came back and said that there was actually, I think, more than 100 spots of blood spatter on Alex's shirt from the night of the murder. So um, significantly a different answer than the first test that he conducted on this shirt and so um in that process the shirt had been destroyed because you know essentially they they had sprayed it with chemicals to be able to pull the color out um and then one point had cut circles out of the shirt where these um locations were identified were at so essentially you were left with nothing the shirt had been stained blue at this point um had been heavily you know cut so the defense's argument is that there was no blood spatter. Now there is blood spatter. The, state, the defense has gone as far as the saying that the state basically pressured um, Mr. Bevel into changing his opinion and his findings on the shirt to you know, strengthen the state's case. That's the defense's claim. Um, so, you know, they want this thrown out. And if they do get this shirt blood spatter evidence thrown out of this case, that will be, by all accounts, you know. Speaking with attorneys closely connected, that would be a big, a major blow for the state's case because again, you don't have a witness. You know, there's the murder weapons are outstanding. You don't have any kind of video of the actual um, killing. So, if that were to be thrown out, that could really cause an issue in this case for the state. and it's something that you have to closely watch and expect that Judge Newman will, you know, certainly take his time on, in ruling on whether or not this should be brought into the courtroom, some attorneys say he will allow it to be brought into the courtroom, but will allow the defense to make the same argument to the jury. And so um, certainly I I do expect if he does does decide to allow it to be brought to trial, that the defense will have a very strong argument to make to the jury about their, you know, the credibility of this, the testing and, and whether or not it should be held up in this case.
0: Riley, is it also correct that Mr. Bevel has retired?
1: Yes, he he is a retired law enforcement officer, um, and don't quote me on what level he had worked for, but he had been, I think, a, in a, with a sheriff's office for a long time, you know, a couple decades. Um, has experience in this, you know, in this kind of work, this kind of practice, so. He is a um, I think a veteran law enforcement officer who at this point serves as maybe an out-of-state expert or an independent expert on on things of this matter.
0: Riley, this is a murder trial, so it, it's not clear right now whether Judge Newman will allow prosecutors to bring up Alec Murdoch's alleged financial crimes during the trial.
1: Yeah, and that's the the second question, I guess. After we get through the blood spatter, then it becomes the state's motive. Entire motive is that Alec did these committed these crimes, these murders, because of the pending financial situation that he was facing. So, you know, we had in a hearing a couple, it was actually in December, um, you know, Dick Carpooling had asked for a bill of filings or a, asked for the state's motive essentially. And the state um, didn't have to bring it up, but presented their their motive as these financial crimes was a direct reason for Alec to commit the murders. And so now Judge Newman has to rule on whether or not that that evidence can be brought into the murder trials separate you know two different crimes or two different um, cases because Alec will have to stay in trial for the financial crimes later on at some point but you know the the defense says that that has nothing to do with the murders that should not be brought into this murder trial the financial crimes are separate has nothing to do with it and so Judge Newman again he has a big decision to make because that really does shape how this trial will play out if he decides to you know, allow the state to present these financial crimes. Again, it's over a million documents of evidence they'll have to present in court or, you know, could present in court. If he decides not to do it, again, you know, this is a circumstantial case for Alec Murdoch. And so if, you know, if Harpootlian, who I, again, think is a very um, talented attorney, if he can get that thrown out, if he can get the blood spatter thrown out, I think, you know, it, it raises an eyebrow. It creates some kind of interest as to how this could play out. But motive for the state is strictly on these financial crimes and whether or not that should be brought into a murder trial is something that we have to watch closely here on.
0: Of course, we know that Alec Murdoch will stand before a jury of his peers. You described that this is a community where this family has reigned large for centuries, actually. Do you think it's going to be difficult for an impartial jury to be seated? What are the thoughts surrounding jury selection?
1: You know, I think that's going to be one of the longest parts of this process, to be completely honest, trying to get an impartial jury who doesn't have one, an opinion about Murdoch previous to any of this happening, two, having any kind of dealings with the Murdoch law firm, PMPED, or three, you know, not having seen any of the coverage of these alleged financial crimes, these alleged murders. Um, You know, like Carolyn, like we've mentioned, we've been covering this for 18 months at least now, and, you know, it's been on every, almost every network, news network, and it's been in papers, and it's been pretty much anywhere that, you know, you would almost have to have lived under a rock for the last year and a half, two years, to not under, to not know what this trial is and what it means. So, um, you know, we have about 900 jurors who have supposedly been called for jury duty when we'll they start that this week. Um, the state's going to have to go through this. The state and defense and Judge Newman will have to go through this. The defense will get 10 strikes. Uh, the state will get five. And, you know, they're going to do their best to find people who will be impartial in this in this trial and and, you know Alec chose to have this um, this venue Alec wanted this these murder charges to play out in Colleton County he wanted to be tried by a panel of his peers Um, the the theory is the defense thinks they can get maybe one or two three people who are either a intimidated of the Murdoch's and will not convict him of murder or maybe be someone who you know still thinks highly of the Murdoch family so Uh, I think it's a real challenge for both the state and the defense, you know, trying to find an impartial jury. Um, You know, I've heard rumblings from, again, talking with attorneys that, you know, expect a large number of people to immediately say they want out of this come Monday morning. Um, Maybe a couple hundred, maybe, you know, a couple tens of people, but expect a significant amount of people to immediately right off the bat say they want nothing to do with this because it is so high profile, it is so maybe volatile is the right word. Um, it's going to be a process. You look at the Lafitte trial, Carolyn. I mean, we had a number of jurors come to, you know, the conclusion they wanted off of the jury as they were deliberating a verdict. So that was, you know, unusual. That was that created maybe chaos in, in the tenth hour of that, eleventh hour of that um, trial. So it, I think it's going to be a real challenge, and I think. You know, hopefully we don't have the same thing we saw in the Lafitte trial play out here, but this could last a couple of days. You know, be heard two days to five days just to see the jury. And if you do that, you know, you're really looking at pushing back the length of this trial. Right now, it's scheduled for three weeks to wrap up on February 10th, I believe. Uh, there's a real possibility this could go a week or two longer than that, maybe even longer, depending on how these different issues play out.
0: Riley, you mentioned Russell Lafitte. Can you explain who he is and what happened during that trial, which happened in January?
1: Uh, Russell Lafitte was um, a bank executive with Paul State Bank, um, which is headquartered out of Hampton, same uh, town where the Murdoch Law Firm was uh, where it sits and is headquartered out of. Um, Palmetto State Bank, the Lafitte family who founded that bank, um, you know, longstanding partners, business partners with the Murdoch law firm. The Murdoch law firm was uh, the bank's biggest client outside of any government agency in that part of the state. So uh, Russell Lafitte, the Lafittes grew up across the street from Alec Murdoch and the Murdochs. Uh, Lafitte's father was Murdoch's godfather and uh, Murdoch's father was Lafitte's godfather. So um, over a period of years, uh, Alec had used uh, Palmetto State Bank as his personal bank and as his Professional business accounts, um, and through that trial, we learned that Alec had often go into Palmetto State Bank and would ask for, um, you know, advances on money, or would ask for credit lines. Or it, at some points, it asked for um, Russell Lafitte, who had served as a number a conservator for a number of Murdoch's clients, to loan money from. Uh, the, the conservator accounts to Alec Murdoch to cover debts that he had had in uh, other areas. Uh, Alec Murdoch was uh, someone who made millions of dollars a year in most years um, and had done financially well by all accounts until the recession in 2008, I uh, believe the late 2000s. Uh, he made a couple bad land deals. Lafitte's allowed Alec to at points be uh, in debt by more than $100,000 on his accounts at Palmetto State Bank. So uh, he was charged Russell Feat was charged federally with misappropriation of funds, with um, misappropriation of uh, bank money, and and different things. There was uh, six federal indictments. He faces state charges yet too, but uh, that went to federal court in Charleston uh, last November, and it was three weeks. You know, I was in that in that courtroom, and and basically, and you know, we covered uncovered a lot of the financial stuff that the state wants to introduce in Murdoch's murder trial. Um, but Lafitte had, you know, loaned Alec money basically at any point he had asked for it. After three weeks, um, the jurors deliberated this for eight to ten hours. Came back, and, and one of them had uh, she needed to take some. She needed an antibiotic that she had ran out of. And another juror had felt anxiety and bullied, and, and a group of them had felt a certain way. And so, two jurors were dismissed. At the eleventh hour. It was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Um, Lafitte agreed to one of them being dismissed, but not the other. Two new jurors, two alternates were placed on. They went back and deliberated for 40 minutes, came back and had a guilty verdict on all six federal indictments. Um, Lafitte, as we know, is, is um, has hired new attorneys. He's asking for a new trial. He's asking for that to be thrown out. Um, so, you know, these two were supposedly seen as two people who operated in these financial schemes, kind of hand in hand. Uh, Russell Lafitte is seen as someone who basically allowed Murdoch to misappropriate, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, adding up to almost millions, over a period of 15 years through the, you know, the use of Palmetto State Bank in, in Lafitte, Russell Lafitte's position um, as an executive. He was CEO at that bank up until um, January of, I believe, 2022, um, when he was relieved from his from his duties because of some of these crimes and allegations starting to be uncovered.
0: Riley, this trial will be televised nationally on court TV. There are several documentaries about the murders and misdeeds surrounding the Murdoch family. And and you've actually been a part of some of these documentaries that we've seen. Um, So, you know, I I think it's going to be one that really continues to hold the attention of the general public. Um, Do you think that that's going to factor into how the court proceedings... Play out over the next few days and weeks?
1: I mean, I think it has to absolutely have some sort of factor into it. You know, I was down there uh, last week as we were kind of getting the lay of the land and doing final preparations. And, you know, there's five, six live trucks, satellite trucks there already, you know, set up ready to go. CNN being there and Court TV, who will obviously be um, the main tele, you know, carrier of it from sending it out to the networks. And you have networks who are going to be there and all the local stations, um, you know, Judge Newman is taking care of the local outlets before the national outlets, but uh, it's hard to imagine how it doesn't have some kind of impact on this. Um, You know, talking with people when we were down there Friday, there were people who came from out of town just to see the courthouse, just to see, you know, the buzz and and the different things that are, you know, in place because of this trial. There's so many eyes on this. Um, You know, I've met people from the the Wall Street Journal and, and, you know, BBC has been here all these international, and national and in South Carolina outlets have taken such interest in, in these proceedings that I think, you know, it's it's very important to make sure that all of this is done correctly, it's done right. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure on both state prosecutors and Judge Newman to make sure this is handled correctly. And, you know, obviously I think that there's a lot of pressure for the state to get a conviction in this case. Um, you know, that might play Maybe favor to the defense. Obviously, Dick Carpulean and Jim Griffin have kind of used um, a number of appearances on national and local media to kind of create a narrative that they want um, to be present in the trial. So, I, to me, I don't see how it doesn't have an impact on this trial. I mean, it's, this is something that so many people know about. Whether you live in Hampton and Colleton County, or you live in you know some other state across the country, even mm-hmm. maybe across the world. I mean, it's created such a following there's Facebook groups, there's all kinds of social media groups, there's different things. So I just don't see how it's impossible. I, I just don't see how the coverage and the media and everything doesn't play some factor in this, in this trial, Carolyn. I think there's a, maybe a mixed feeling from residents in Walterboro. Some obviously welcoming um, the added number of people. I've seen some uh, media outlets estimate maybe a thousand, if not more people you know, at points during this trial will be in Walter. I think there's other people clearly not excited for the attention this is going to bring to what would normally be a quiet town in South Carolina. So, um, you know, you have food trucks who are setting up at the Wildlife Center. You have a media center dedicated for, you know, media members, members of the media who won't be able to get into the courtroom, which, again, it's limited seating. There's 234 seats in the courtroom. I think there's about 15 outlets who have been, media outlets, who have been approved to get into the courtroom on a daily basis. You know, luckily, uh, I'll be in the courtroom every day for this trial. But, you know, there's a, the state attorney's office, or attorney general's office has a trailer set up for witnesses to be housed uh, in this area. There's Airbnbs being rented. There's hotels being rented. So I think there's a number of people who are welcoming the, you know, maybe the business that will come to Walterboro over the next or five weeks I think there's also people who are maybe ashamed or, or not particularly thrilled that this many people are descending on what is, you know, very quiet and a you know, small town for this part of the state.
0: Riley, is there anything else that you want people to know or understand as they prepare to follow the Murdoch murder trial?
1: You know, I don't think I can emphasize the importance of the pre-trial motion hearings. I mean, obviously you know, jury selection will be interesting to see how long that takes and, and what that process looks like but these pre-trial motion hearings can really shape where this trial goes you know what does judge newman decide to do about the blood spatter what does judge newman decide to do about the financial motive of uh, the state's theory as to why alec you know carried out these crimes that is something that could shape this trial this again is a circumstantial evidence case it's, there's no witnesses there's no video There's a lot of things that the state needs to have happen in order to, you know, have the strongest case possible. And obviously the defense is hoping that that won't happen. Secondly, we mentioned the Lafitte trial, you know, attorneys have said that really does give the state a blueprint on how to get a conviction in a Murdoch related, um, you know, trial or case. So if the financial crimes are allowed to be brought in, I'm sure there'll be similarities to how the Russell Lafitte trial played out. Um, And again, there's a lot of players As far as witnesses, you know, we learned Friday that Google and Snapchat are coming. So kind of watch those more intricate details um, as we go through this case. And, of course, Carolyn, will Alec have family members in the courtroom to support him? Will Buster Murdoch be there? Will his brothers be there? Will Maggie Murdoch's family be there? And if they are, are they sitting behind the defense and state prosecutors? Alec hasn't had any kind of family support to this point in any of his court hearings That's also something I think that's very telling to see if they family shows up and if they do, who are they supporting, sitting behind? You know, those are just kind of some details that of course will bring you on on news two throughout the trial. But you know, keep those things in your mind because you know those are bigger than than you'd think, I guess, would be my my point, Carolyn.
0: Riley Benson, thank you so much for being our guest on Let's Talk. We look forward to watching your reports throughout the days and weeks ahead. We appreciate your time. Thank you,
1: Carolyn, appreciate
0: it. That's it for this episode of Let's Talk. Let's Talk is produced by Eric Johnson. I'm the host, Carolyn Murray. We welcome your comments and advice on our podcast, so please write a review and share the link with others. Thanks again for listening to Let's Talk. Goodbye until the next time.